you can be beloved of God and still have difficult times at the same time. Whether you have money in your bank account or, you know, you have perfect health is not an indication of how God feels about you. You can only see God's love for you in the cross. This is The Unseen Story, first-hand accounts that reveal God's love and power in the lives of His children. What God has done for our storytellers, He lives to do for you. Hey everybody, it's Brooke and Adam, Unseen Story. We're so glad you're back. We have a a great story this week. It's a longer one, so we've uh, broken it up into two parts. Uh, First part's uh, really, really good, but it's um, setting you up for something even better in the second part. So, yeah, get ready. (laughs) So without further ado, here is today's story. You are listening to Steve's story from tool to treasure part one. So my name is Steve. I'm a, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm a father of uh, two beautiful children, a husband of, of a gorgeous wife. And my story begins my story begins with my mother's trauma. My mother was in the bed with her mother when her mother got killed by um, a jealous lover, unrequited love. If I can't have you, no one will. So he shot my grandmother while my mother, she was about nine or 10 at the time, she was in the bed with her. And uh, she suffered from that trauma for much of her life. This happened on Christmas day. I was born many years later on Christmas Eve. When I was about 10 years old, the pressure and just the anxiety and the terrible things of all of that were too much. And my mom began to turn to crack cocaine. Uh, She left me and my brother when I was um, closing in on my 11th birthday in a hotel room so she could go get so she could go get drugs. She left us with a stranger and uh, child protective custodies came and took us away and, and sent us to to foster homes on different sides of the state. You know, as a child, for that to happen to you at nine, 10 years old, there's no way to process it. So I I went through life just uh, confused and broken. And that kind of that kind of surmises or that's a summation of my young life, just just confused and broken and trying to please people in abusive um, foster homes that didn't want me there in the first place. I was basically just like a, a check to them. And so I was just a broken child, but I knew I wanted more. Um, all my family, they dealt, they dealt drugs, um, just terrible examples of human beings. And that's all I saw. And I knew that that wasn't what I wanted to be. And I had to plan to go to college. I was, I've always been good with math and English. So the idea was I'm going to, I'm going to major in something like computer technology. Um, I was selling marijuana at the time to put myself through college. I, I couldn't, I didn't have the conscience to sell crack. Um, all Everybody in my family, my brothers, my cousins, my dad, they all sold crack cocaine. And so I have firsthand experience with what people were willing to do to get crack. Um, they would literally sell their children. Um, one guy I knew, uh, his wife used to braid my hair when I was young because I couldn't afford haircuts. And um, and I remember the children, they would be in diapers, the same pair of diapers for days. They had no food in the refrigerator because he was selling their wick stuff and the government assistance stuff he was getting. He would sell it for, for crack. And I remember thinking, even then, even even unsaved, 
the Lord was was wooing me to himself. He gave me enough of a conscience to know that I couldn't be involved with anything like that. I couldn't sell anything that people were willing to sell their children's basic necessities to obtain. So I couldn't do that like the rest of my family, but I knew I had to get away from them and I wasn't going to do that working at McDonald's. I got I got caught my first felony for selling marijuana. I was I was um, transporting a, a few pounds or so to a stash box. It's not important, but that's what I was doing at the time. And um, I got caught and 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 got on probation. And my probation officer, she told me, she said, "I'm going to revoke you um, because you're black and because I don't like your last name." And when that happened, I was just so discouraged. I didn't have any. I didn't have any drive anymore to even uh, try to get any more money together or try the college thing again. So just in desperation, I began to rob places because I didn't I didn't care about life anymore. So I'm out. I'm about to rob a place one night, not because I need the money, just basically because I don't want to live anymore. But in the store I'm about to rob. A woman works there that's the aunt of a, of a young lady that I had dated, you know, years previous to that. And all I could think was, if I, if I kill this lady, if she gives me problems and I kill her, it's going to just break her, her aunt, her um, niece's heart. Mind you, I say the Lord was wooing me even then, because if you hear my story, if you're listening to me, there is no way I, I could have a conscience. At, at doing all the things that I'm doing. So that was the Lord. I didn't know that until later, but that was the Lord drawing me to him. Even then, I didn't know Jesus, but that could have only been Jesus, me thinking about the well-being of another person. So I didn't rob the place. I'm, I'm leaving to go back home, but I, I, I hid my 18-speed, my bicycle. I had hid it on another property and I'm going back to get my bicycle. In the process of that, I have to I have to uh, walk onto the the grounds of another business. It's a storage unit across the street from the store I was just about to rob. What I didn't know is that storage unit had gotten robbed the night before. There were houses across the street, and one of the one of the tenants, one of the women, she called the police when she saw me just casually walking across the grounds because she thought that I was the person that had robbed that business the night before. It had nothing to do with me. So the cops came, uh, well, a police officer came, and um, and I had on gloves at the time because I always wore gloves whenever I robbed place. So when he came and he 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 pulled up on me, I immediately threw the gloves. He turned his back to see what I had thrown. Uh, uh, an older guy named Silk. He gave me my first gun years earlier. Um, this is kind of the kind of the dysfunctional <laughs> path that I come from. You know, when you give a teenager a gun, that's kind of a heartwarming present and not a registered gun that you would go hunting with, like most people are familiar with. An illegal gun that, you know, you intend to use to shoot another person. So and one of the things Silk told me is you never produce this gun. You never pull it out unless you're ready to do two things, die and kill. And so as soon as the cop did, that was always the plan. So as soon as the cop, you know, rolled up on me and he turned his back, I pulled my gun out on him and I would have shot him. This is just how my mind works. I saw him, his body would have, there was a ditch nearby. His body would have rolled into the ditch and I would have ran off into the night. A light came on in the, in the house across the street. I didn't find out till later that that was the woman that had called the cops. 
So in that moment that I didn't pull the trigger, he turned around and he saw the gun leveled at his head from about 10 to 20 feet away. He, he was close to me. So he pulled out his gun and he is he is terrified. I mean, he, the gun is shaking in his hand like a tuning fork because he wasn't expecting he wasn't expecting that to turn around and see a gun leveled at his head, a nine millimeter leveled at his head. So he's terrified. I can, I can see his gun shaking, but so, but anyway, he tell he shoots me three times and he tells the judge later in court, which I'll get to that. He tells the judge later that he saw a change coming over me. He shot me because he saw me making a decision. The important part about that is as I lay on the ground, all three bullets went into my right side. I'm staring up at the stars and I can see the stars going black. I realize that I'm dying. And I pray to the Lord, Lord, I'm coming home. Save my soul. But please don't let me wake up. Don't let me survive this. For me, death had never held any, any fears for me. Waking up to the darkness, the, the just bleakness of my life was worse a thousand times over than death. So as I lay on the ground dying, I prayed to the Lord to save my soul, but don't let me live. Don't let me wake up and go back to the life I know. Well, God had other plans. He, he heard my prayer. He saved my soul, but he also saved my life. Um, obviously, I did wake up. <laughs> Not exactly the, the next morning. So uh, when the ambulance did get there over an hour later, they rushed me to the hospital and they did the emergency surgery. They had to remove two shattered ribs and 40 percent of my right lung. They had to cut me from start from um, from sternum to like a pelvis to, to do whatever they had to do in there. And they had to cut my entire side open um, to take out the ribs and, and the lung and, and all of that. So I'm pretty badly messed up. I'm in the hospital room and everything, and 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 shortly after that, uh, because anytime a cop is involved with a shooting, and and their internal affairs division comes to talk with the victim to get their side of the story. So um, at the time, I'm saved, but I'm freshly saved. I don't even know what saved means. So I concocted some elaborate story and lied to them because that was just like um, my natural inclination at the time. Um, Many more things happened, but I, I keep it to a minimum. So I was shipped to Central Prison, which in North Carolina is the prison where they uh, where they do their executions. It's also the prison, the only prison where they have a hospital facility. So I was shipped there. So I'm not getting the best care. I remember the um, um, the other officers sent to watch over me. I remember them kicking my wheelchair whenever they could, whenever they were beyond the, the sight of the cameras. And, and, and just all can be expected from people that are vindictive towards someone. So that was kind of my stay there. And I, what I didn't know at the time is that things are happening in me. Um, so once, once that is over and a lot more happened there, but once that is over and I'm shipped back to the, to the jurisdiction where I came from so I could face my charges, which was, uh, months later, the Lord said to me, he said to me one night, he said, you give me all or you give me nothing. So everything I've done, I've always done a hundred percent. And so the Lord knows that he's made, he made me. So he told me, you know, he just told me one night just like that. He said, you give me all right now or you give me nothing. Because I was concocting a, 
um, lie to tell to the judge and, and all of that, you know, um, I just normal stuff for the situation that I was in. And the Lord said, no, no more lies. Um, no more, no more posturing, no more, any of that. Your old life is over. And so I decided, he said, you give me all or you give me nothing. And I was not going back to my old life. It didn't matter if I had to go to prison for the rest of my life. So I, I said, I'll give you all. So I said, I'm going to tell the judge exactly what happened, everything that happened, all of it. So when I saw the judge, first, before I saw the judge, I asked to see the police officer and I apologized to him. I took him aside away and I apologized to him. And I asked him not to mention that to the judge because I didn't do that to get a lighter sentence. That was not for any nefarious motives. I was a different person and I was ready to leave that old guy behind. And the guy that had almost killed him, the guy that he had shot was a different person. So the judge, strange thing happened in court. I'm telling him um, all the things that, I, that I've told you, and I, I'm telling him what's happening, and I'm telling him what I was doing. I'm admitting to my crimes, but when it came time to tell him that I was about to rob that store, he stops me. He interrupts me, and he's, he's, he starts talking with me about, you know, the estate of the world and the estate of young people and just something in general, like, like pretty strange. So, okay, I conversate with him for, for a minute or so about that. And then I try again to tell him that I had, why, why were you there in the first place with a gun? I was about to rob this place. Now, mind you, where I'm from, armed robbery at the time carried a seven-year minimum. Like, there was no, he couldn't have shown me leniency. It was, it was um, uh, what you call a mandatory minimum. If, um, if I had admitted in open court that I had been about to rob the sweets, the sweet 17, which is what the name of the store, he would have had to give me seven years minimum just for that charge on top of the other charges. He couldn't have shown any leniency. I didn't I didn't find this out till later. So I, I'm trying to tell him again that part. the rest of the story I got to tell. But when I got to that part, he interrupted me. We talked about, you know, something mundane. And then when we finished, I tried to tell him again, and he interrupted me again. And he's just talking about, you know, the estate of the world, and it's terrible that, that these things happen in this world. And I'm, I'm kind of confused. So the third time when he interrupted me, the Lord says to me, stop. Stop. Don't, don't tell that. That's what the Lord said to me. I didn't know about a minimum, and I didn't know that the judge was doing that so I wouldn't admit to that in open court so he wouldn't have to give me that. When he did send it to me, he gave me what he called special circumstances. I was charged with assault on a government officer instead of like um, attempted murder of a police officer because the Lord, that was the Lord. That was the Lord putting it upon his heart because it was not the Lord's will that I go to prison for a hundred years. Um, which I was ready to, but it just wasn't the Lord's will. So that's important because that was all God. This judge does not know me, but the Lord was there and that was the Lord. So I ended up serving about four years in prison when I, when I was supposed to serve maybe 30 to 40 years. And I bless God for those four years because that was my seminary. That was the time I needed to be, I needed to be taken away from the environment where I was completely. It was necessary that I be ripped away from that 
in literally 24 hours and given no opportunity to interact with the people. Because of the nature of my crime, I couldn't receive any mail or receive any visitors. And that was for the best. So for the next three or four years, the Lord began changing me. And um, I read through the Bible. I had to read from Genesis to Revelation a dozen times or more while I was in prison. So that was my seminary. And I wouldn't have traded it for the world. I was in terrible pain every day. But I got a unique opportunity to seek the Lord that many people don't get. Out here in today's society, you have to work. You have children. Um, if the Lord blesses a person to get saved, they still have to contend with life as they're becoming a new creation. So you can be beloved of God and still have difficult times at the same time. And I say that because so many people need to know that, that your circumstances do not dictate how God feels about you. Whether you have money in your bank account or, you know, you have perfect health is not an indication of how God feels about you. You can only see God's love for you in the cross. You can't look for God's love for you in your day-to-day -day circumstance because they change. We live in a world where there's a demon, there's a, there's a demonic force called the devil. And that does not mean that God does not love you, does not cherish you. You can only see God's love for you clearly in the cross, not in your day-to-day -day circumstances. All right, well, there's Steve. He's very well spoken. Yeah. Uh, I think he does a good job of talking about some really painful mm. points in his life. Yeah. And um, it's really cool to see what God was doing. Looking back, you can see how he had a conscience, how he um, was, was caring for people, not because he was taught that. Silk, you know, giving him a gun. Mm. And it's hard for us to relate to that. I think our wrestling with the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness is a lot more gray. Mm. It's a lot more deception, a lot more um, distraction. And in Steve's story, it's just in your face, black and white. Like that's seeing your, your, your mom at nine years old, seeing her mother being shot by a jealous lover. I can't imagine. Like, that's dark. Well, and I think what's so powerful about Steve's story for me is um, it really is about sight and perspective, right? Everyone has a story. Everyone has a story. And we are so quick to judge and point fingers and lay blame when... Um, you know, circumstances don't look like we think they ought to, but we have no idea the story that's going on behind that. And like you said, like Silk, who knows what his upbringing was? And when I hear all the stories that kind of fold into Steve's story, I can't help but think like, Lord, give me eyes for your children. Help me to see what you see, not the circumstances or not my limited perspective. Mm. Give me compassion where I otherwise might not have it. Mm. To your point about the eyes, I think seeing into the darkness of the world that, that um, exists. I mean. And being able to 
perceive the person and the value that's there and call them up. Mm, kidnapped royalty, like Keith said, kidnapped royalty. Yeah. We've got to call our brothers and sisters up to their true identity and the standards of who they're created to be, reminding them of truth versus reality. Yeah, no matter your circumstances, your Amen. value has not changed. It's in the cross. Amen. Let me introduce you to that value. Let me yeah. tell you about that value. Yeah. Let me show you who he says you are and what he says you're worth. So I, I am um, looking forward to you guys hearing the rest of the story. Oh, man. It's really powerful. Um, and uh, you're going to like it. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be blown away. It's really beautiful, really redemptive, and um, miraculous. We'll just leave those little notes behind. So tune in next week for part two of Steve's story. Until then, have a great week of worship. Love you guys. We encourage you to ask Holy Spirit what he wants to say to you through this story. We invite you to partner with us through your God-given resources of time, prayer, and finances. Without your sharing, these stories don't spread to those who need them. Without your prayers... We are limited in what we can do for the kingdom. Without your finances, these powerful stories of God's supernatural love go untold. God has called us to share his stories, and we invite you to be a part of that mission. For more information, be sure to check out our website at theunseenstory.org. Thanks so much for listening.